0: Welcome to the Cinema Men podcast.
1: I'm your host John Murphy, and I'm joined by my co-host Matt Hurdle. Hey, John, and uh, I'm, hey, it's uh, man, it's hot in here. Is it? Is it hot to you? I mean, I know we're not I'm in the same pretty, building, but I'm hot. I'm pretty good. I'm like pouring cool, sweat. What? Oh, oh, there's uh, there's smoke coming through my door. Hold on, just let me, let me go take a look at this okay you might want to check that out oh oh dear <clears throat> let me close this door <clears throat> well John it would seem that my house is on fire okay well, that's the problem um yes um and I know just what to do no no need to fear uh I'm upstairs I don't have any way to easily get out of my house so I'm gonna stay in my room. I'm going to put towels on the door so the smoke doesn't get in and I'm going get to caught? cut all the phone lines. Uh yep, this, this is what? fine. Okay. Everything's fine. Did you say cut the phone lines? Yeah. Yeah, I saw okay. this movie where that was what a guy did and uh-huh. actually it well it didn't didn't work out too <laughs> great for him, but for me it's going to work. <laughs> I because in movie.
0: you, yes, because you saw it in a movie. Oh, it's getting a little worse now. That's okay. Are you going to try to wrap yourself in wet towels and just run through? Because you can run a hundred meters in ten minutes. Um. No.
1: No, I think okay. I'm just going to sit here. It'll be okay. <laughs> this is a modern building with uh, lots of safety features. <laughs>
0: All right, well, let me know how that goes. I will. I'll let you know. So besides Matt's peril, on tonight's episode, we are going to be reviewing the 1974 action thriller, The Towering Inferno, starring Steve McQueen and Paul Newman, directed by John Gillerman and also uh, Erwin Allen. This is a spoiler podcast. So if you've never seen the movie and you don't want to be spoiled, pause this episode, go watch the movie and then come back. Stay tuned until the end of the episode where we reveal what our next movie will be so you can follow along with us. Oh, John, if you want to get in touch, like, John, I'm, I'm
1: sorry to interrupt you, but um, oh, go ahead. Some guys just bust into my door and they told me that they're going to have to blow the water tanks over my head and that I need to tie yep. down. So I'm, I'm going to do that real quick. OK, make sure you
0: do a good job. Uh, If you want to get in touch with us or give us your take on a movie, you can email us at feedback at cinemamenpodcast.com or check us out on Twitter at twitter.com slash cinemamenpod. If you would like to support us monetarily and have the means to do so, you can go to anchor.fm slash cinemamenpodcast slash support. We use the money to improve the quality of the podcast. So in advance, thank you very much. And we might use some of that money to improve Matt's home because
1: apparently it's easily caught on fire. You know, this fireman that came in here, he looks a whole lot like Steve McQueen. It's kind of cool. Oh, oh, they're about you to blow. get his autograph. Here we go. There oh. we go. Now we can get back to that. I have an normal. idea for
0: a sound bite there. Yeah, I thought you might. I thought you might. <laughs> so you can have fun with uh, that. Yeah. <laughs> okay. If you like video, we offer that too. Go to YouTube, search for the in podcast. We record every other Tuesday at eight thirty PM Central Time. Uh, subscribe to our channel.
1: That's the easiest way to keep track of us. That's right. And honestly, why would you not want to see our faces? I well, I can probably think of several reasons, but you know, I can think of a reason probably why you yeah. would watch instead of listen. You can? No. <laughs> it's okay. But we're, we're there just, anyway. <laughs> yeah. Where that's oh, where we I are. I got it. I got it. If you come to our live shows, you can chat with us directly. Yeah. Yeah. That's you can't do point. that on a podcast. You're just talking to yourself.
0: Yeah. and People think you look crazy. And it has been known uh, for us to reply or respond on the podcast to our listeners. It has been and known. And it makes it...
1: <laughs> <laughs> It makes it into the, might, the episode. We just might address your comments. Legend foretells if you're lucky. <laughs> no, in all honesty, he's right. Uh, come in here, chat with us. We'll talk. We don't care.
0: All right. One more thing. Uh, this is something relatively new we've been doing, but we have been creating a short form series called the Cinnamonies. And we release those uh, every other week when we don't release a regular podcast episode. They're about 30 minutes or less uh, in time. And we discuss uh, fairly random talk topics, but we try to uh, make it relatable to the episode that we just released. Um, just to keep things kind of on topic. <laughs> mm-hmm. Stay on target. Uh, the last episode we
1: released was... What was that, Matt? The last episode? The last cinemini we did. The last Cinemani. That was uh, Tom Cruise, if I'm not mistaken. That's
0: right. Yep. Some of our favorite or the top best, most popular Tom Cruise movies. So check that out. Steve McQueen and All right. Let's get started
1: one tiny spark becomes a night of blazing suspense. The Towering Inferno. It's out of control. It's coming your way. Warner Brothers and 20th Century Fox present Irwin Allen's production of The Towering Inferno. Steve McQueen. Paul Newman, William Holden, Faye Dunaway, Fred Astaire, Susan Blakely, Richard Chamberlain, Jennifer Jones, OJ Simpson, Robert Vaughn, and Robert Wagner. The Towering Inferno. Those people are going to die up there. Something's not done. I want you out of here.
0: So you can stop worrying about me. What about me down there worrying about you? I'll never let you go. Anywhere. The plot synopsis for The Towering Inferno from IMDb.com. At the opening party of a colossal, but poorly constructed office building, a massive fire breaks out that threatens to destroy the tower and everyone in it.
1: Bum, bum, bum. Yep. That's pretty, pretty much what goes down. I mean, you could argue that it wasn't necessarily poorly constructed. It was. Uh, Corners were cut with the electrical of the building. The the construction itself, I guess, was pretty solid, but the the electricity setup was weak. They didn't even we cover sauce. the wires with protective sheaths. Sheaths. How dare sheaths? They? sheaths. Sheaths. Is it sheaths or sheaths? She sheaths. Bringing in the sheaths. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's
1: good. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you.
0: Okay, Matt. Yes. Uh, well, let's start with the acting, I guess. Okay. This has a, I would say, I don't know. One would say an all-star cast, mm-hmm. but um, an all-star cast from a bygone era, maybe. Yeah, that's true.
1: Uh, the in, in our case. But it, so, it's important to note this: this cast is um, fire. If you'll <laughs> um, excuse the pun. <laughs> Um, I mean, you've got, first of all, you've got three really big people competing for the top build spot. You got William Holden, you've got Steve Mm -hmm. McQueen, and you've got Paul Newman. All three of these Mm -hmm. guys are legends. Now, John's right. Today, they're not as much as they were, but you're talking about the the biggest A-list actors that were in the business at this time frame. Um. Mm -hmm. And having, in particular, Steve McQueen and Paul Newman head to head in the same film, this was kind of like heat. Our very first episode when Pacino and De Niro were squaring off uh, in the same the same screen, uh, sharing screen time and talking like this was a big deal. Indeed, um,
0: and the chemistry between those two they weren't on the on screen very often, but when they were, like. You could tell it was just two two
1: veteran actors playing off of each other. Oh yeah, two pros. Um, Some of the best in the business working together. It's it's so great when you get to see that.
0: Um, So Steve McQueen plays the architect. He is the guy that built this building, or at least uh, blueprinted it. Uh, Did I say Steve McQueen? Yes, you did. I think you met Paul. Steve McQueen. Yeah. Paul Newman is the architect. Steve McQueen is the, he's the fire chief. Correct. Um, but besides those two, well, and William Holden was the builder, builder or the owner slash builder of the the big glass tower. This big building that is taller than any other building in the world. The world. It was the tallest building in the world in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, but not only those three. You have Fred Astaire, another Hollywood legend, Faye Dunaway, Robert Wagner, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, who else? O.J. Simpson, (laughs) O.J. Simpson, Felton Perry, Mm -hmm. Jackie Collins, Mm -hmm. Susan
1: Blakely. These are all older names, but these are all huge names, except for O.J., who's still relevant, but for uh, different reasons than (laughs) acting nowadays.
0: Hmm. He's relevant for different
1: reasons. Although hmm. he's kind of had his time. He's kind of fading away now, I think. You know what, though? Hmm. O.J. didn't do a bad job. No, O.J. did great. Everybody like, did great. He had, a, he had a
0: very tiny part, but he acted his role pretty well.
1: And just to uh, just to throw this out there, for those of you who haven't seen this film, uh, the premise is pretty simple. Uh, the movie opens with, um, this tower about to be opened. It's the biggest building ever built in the world. As John was saying, um, Paul Newman, he plays the architect, um, a character by the name of Doug Roberts, who's just getting in for the opening. He's been on a long vacation. Uh, William Holden plays Jim Duncan. He's the guy who financed the project, had the building built and essentially owns the building. And what happened was he had the building built, but he needed to save a little bit of money. And so he turned to his electrician, uh, who was played by Richard Chamberlain, a character by the name of Simmons, to uh, to cut some corners. And uh, so he did so, uh, but he did so in a hazardous way. And so what happened is on the night of the opening of the building, they throw a really big party. They take like 100 people up to the very, pretty much very top floor to this place called the Promenade. It's not exactly the top floor, but it's like one or two floors down. Uh, so like, what, 130 floors in the, in the air. And they turn on all the lights because they want to showcase the building. Well, when you turn on all the lights and the electricity is bad, The uh, the whole circuitry overloaded. It caused some fires which quickly spread and got out of control. And the rest of the movie is the fire department um, with the chief played by uh, Steve McQueen, Chief O'Halloran and his firefighters trying to save the people and stop the fire. I mean, that's pretty much the whole movie. What
0: is your your general thought of the acting? Uh, Other than the fact that it was
1: star studded. I loved it. I thought every performance was great. Uh, There was a little bit of overacting, I felt, um, and some stuff that kind of suffered, um, such as uh, and you're going to have to help me out here. But the lady who died in the room, Susan Flannery. Yeah, I think that's who who it was, Patty. Or yeah, I'm sorry, uh, Lori. I think that's who it was, but I'm not certain Mm -hmm. Uh, that was that, that was a little eh to me. Um, Because, you know, she's just kind of standing there and then fire appears and then she goes, ah, that was a little weak. Um, okay. So not not a, not everybody had an amazing performance, but I want to say mm-hmm. the generally it was pretty good acting where it mattered. Mm-hmm. You had good acting. And I mean, you're talking about, um, you know, 74. So you have to give a little bit of lenience. To uh, some of these some of this acting just because it was, you know, it was a different era and it wasn't as um, what critiqued, I guess, as it is now, although I say that and we sit critiquing it.
0: No, I I don't think it's that I think it's like you can critique it and some of the acting is is not good, uh, but it's more of a classic delivery of of lines and things like that. Like,
1: yeah, that's a good way to put it.
0: Yeah. Like you can picture what this movie would be like if it was made today. Like it would be a lot more real, a lot more uh, maybe sensitive subject
1: matter. Who Mm -hmm. knows? Like everything was classic. Like, you know, it's interesting that you say that. I think it's a good point that you're making Um, because now that you say that I can clearly define uh, some acting as classical And some that would transpose onto today's cinema, just fine. Sure. Um, Namely Newman and McQueen. They did great. Mm -hmm. Uh, They were believable. Mm -hmm. And I was into the action and I thought they were just outstanding. Um, Holden. Holden was amazing in his performance also. But uh, OJ, OJ, as we mentioned. But yeah, sorry, I keep mentioning actors, but. (laughs) <laughs> uh, there was a line there. Yeah. And, and I think, I, I think that's exactly right. I think I saw that line in that scene and that's maybe why I'm like, eh, but also, eh. And, yeah. and someone, something else I want to touch on with that line. And that's Fred Astaire. Um, He's a joy to watch act, but if mm-hmm. you watch him act, he is so ridiculously overacting. Mm-hmm. Like, he makes these ridiculous gestures and faces, and he's always like winking or nudging or leaning in and acting, you know, definitely in a classical way as opposed to a modern way. But the way he does it yeah. is extremely endearing, and he's he's older in this film, and so you can almost pass it off as him just being an older guy, and it works yeah. with him. Of course, he didn't have to die a fiery death, so that, you know, That's if right. he did, that may have changed my opinion. <laughs> yeah he was an
0: interesting character because he I guess he's supposed to be this like con man um, mm-hmm. and the first time we see him he's trying to swindle a taxi driver out of his tip or whatever um, but he moves so f- youthfully yeah, than what I would expect but then I'm like oh it's Fred Astaire Mm -hmm. And I almost expected him to have a real big dance number, (laughs) to be honest. But he there was a little bit of a dancing going on, Uh, but he was pretty agile for as old as he was. You know,
1: that's that's a theme that kind of runs throughout this entire film. You know, there were some stuff that Paul Newman did where I was like, holy crap. You know, like he, he would just like yeah. be hanging, climbing and up, pull himself up into a hole or like swinging and jumping on poles and stuff like this. This had yeah. to be a pretty I know they used a lot of stuff, but some of these were actually the actors doing these things. And mm-hmm. um, granted, they weren't actually, you know, 100 floors in the air doing them. But nonetheless, it's pretty physical. And um, mm-hmm. a lot of these guys who who are older actors now just nail it. No problem.
0: The, when you think about it, the top three build guys were probably at least over 40 or 45. Yeah. Um, and which is crazy to think, uh, Paul Newman still has a long legendary career ahead of him. I think Newman
1: was 42 or
0: 43
1: when he filmed this, yeah.
0: but I'm not certain on that. <clears throat> but he still has a lot of good movies he's going to make in the, in the future. Mm-hmm. Um, it's crazy to think about that. Who else? Richard Chamberlain. Mm-hmm. Plays the snivelly uh, electrician. Do you mean good at the Cumberbatch?
1: Because I swear that's yeah. the only person I could think of when I was watching him. He looks just like yeah. him in this movie.
0: They they do look similar. But he's great as this, like, the guy you just love to hate.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, the he a good, has, bad guy.
0: He does everything wrong. He can't do anything right he doesn't have any good qualities other than he's handsome
1: i guess well he did manage to to save you know william holden's budget (laughs) maybe not in the best way but he i mean he did it he cut that two million dollars off the budget if we're looking at it from
0: a financial perspective bare wires (laughs) i did what you told me to do
1: And honestly, he acted his heart out, too. He did amazing. No, he was great.
0: The only thing I know Richard uh, Chamberlain from, other than this movie now, is like The Thorn Birds. Oh, yeah. Which is this romance kind of
1: movie that my mom always watched. You know, that's funny you say (laughs) that because, you know, I grew up in the VHS era. Right. And uh, we had a whole cabinet filled with VHS tapes that were almost entirely tapes we had taped off of TV, Mm -hmm. uh, which that's what you did. Just like you taped, you made your tapes off of the radio with your cassette tapes. You would record TV shows on your VCR. Mm -hmm. And uh, she had the entire Thornbird series on VHS tapes. And I would always look at them as a little (laughs) kid and be like, I wonder what that is. And then I accidentally <laughs> taped over him with like Ninja Turtles or something, <laughs> so I never got to find out. <laughs> I just remember he's a priest,
0: maybe or some. I, I have no priest. idea.
1: Uh, I know my mom liked know. it too, though. The Thorn yeah. Birds, it's for moms. Tm, uh,
0: but Richard Chamberlain, he was a heartthrob. Mm. I assume that's why my mom watched it.
1: She, uh, she liked old <laughs> Dick Chamberlain. yep can't blame her Uh, your your mom loves the can't blame her can't blame her I'm sorry I apologize I might have gone too far with that one but sometimes you just can't hold them in my mom listens to
0: all of these episodes
1: (laughs) well it's an innocent statement
0: (laughs) is there any other actor that
1: you wanted to call out the uh, O.J. Simpson. Oh. We've already mentioned him, uh, but he was really young here. Uh, I don't know how much acting he'd yeah. done previous to this, but honestly, he did really well. Uh, he was believable <laughs> as the the main security guard. Uh, the mm-hmm. action that he took was great. He was Jernigan was his character's name. Uh, and honestly, I, I really enjoyed watching him. This This was one of the first times I've seen him in a serious role, and he really yeah. did well. He saves a cat. <laughs> he did save the cat, and this is more of a plot issue. So I'll get into that later. But I do have an issue with okay. that. Okay.
0: I thought Robert Wagner did a decent job. He didn't have. Well, he was a great. Lot. Yeah. Uh, but his he plays a good number two. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> his uh, role as the upstanding man who wants to protect his lady. Uh, he did that well, Mm -hmm. although he can't run very well and he makes poor decisions. Mm -hmm. Felton Perry. I'll talk about him more, but he played one of the firemen. Uh, he was the fireman that was there at the end in the promenade helping with, the uh, uh, reaches buoy.
1: So not the, not the younger one who was afraid to climb down or rappel down that one. The guy that was in RoboCop. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. He did great.
0: Yeah, I really enjoyed his performance, and I'll talk about why later on in another section. Actually, uh, the both of those guys, I thought, did really well. So we overall like the plot or the acting. Sorry. Oh,
1: yeah. Yeah, I definitely think it has to be noted that it's kind of a mix of, of more modern acting and classical acting. But mm-hmm. um, aside from that, yeah, it was great.
0: So the plot uh you kind of s- synopsized the plot. Yeah, already. I mean,
1: so um but it's 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 standard disaster movie flare plot. You know, there's mm-hmm. a there's a brief setup where everything's cool and happy and we're seeing these people and we're shown little glimpses so that we can get a little bit attached to each of the characters and then all hell breaks loose and they have to all try <laughs> to survive and we're cheering for them to make it. I mean, that's every disaster movie ever made yeah um so i mean it's 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 not the strongest plot in the world but you don't watch a disaster movie for a super intriguing amazing dramatic award-winning screenplay and plot right Mm -hmm. you're in it for the action so Mm -hmm. um you know you can't judge it too harshly i don't think because of that
0: i didn't i didn't mind the plot necessarily um I think, as far as runtime goes, this is a almost three hour movie, mm-hmm. so it's a it's a long movie yep um, and the first uh half or not my first half first uh quarter or first third is just set up mm-hmm. so you're and and that that's good because we're establishing these characters we're getting familiar with them we're a, Developing attachments to them and we're figuring out what's going to happen. Um, so that was good. And I like that. Uh, some of it probably could have been trimmed, but I can't think of anything necessarily that just absolutely would have to be cut to make it a more tight movie. Mm-hmm. I, I really like the characters and I like the way they um, set them up.
1: Yeah, I agree. I mean, I'm not saying it's a bad plot. I'm just saying it's it's a pretty simple plot. You know what I mean? It's it's a formula disaster movie plot. Um, It is. There's nothing really. uh, What's what's the word I'm looking for? Um, Unique. Yeah, but not really unique, because in a lot of ways, this I mean, this was one of the one of the founders of the formula, you know, Uh, innovative. That's (laughs) the word I'm looking for. They don't they don't waver too much from the formula.
0: That's what I was going to say is this was 1974 and so there wasn't much to go off of this kind of created that so in a way it was innovative That's in true. developing that that disaster movie formula. That's really formula. true. And
1: yeah, I, I don't think we can say this was the first disaster movie. No, um, because in the, 70s, in the 70s in 70s there was a huge outbreak of disaster movies. Um it was it was a big deal and this was just kind of one of the one of the jewels in the crown of that era and I, I don't know honestly what could be considered the first but um it's definitely a shining example of uh of one uh the movie kind of t- touches on these um
0: five romance romance angles mm-hmm. um which is something that they don't they don't really overload you with they don't linger on it but they give you enough of those to give you that attachment yes so we have robert wagner and his assistant laurie
1: mm-hmm.
0: paul newman uh who was doug roberts and his wife played by faye dunaway
1: mm-hmm.
0: fred astaire and his um companion up. or <laughs> Hook up. <laughs> Hooked up, up with her at the party. Yeah. Lisa Lisa Lett, mm-hmm. I guess is her name. Uh, and then we have Richard Chamberlain and uh Duncan, who is the builder, his daughter, mm-hmm. Pat, Patty. Uh, and then the mayor and his wife. Yes. And those are the five separate romances, and you kind of see they're all different and they're all in
1: one way or another, relatable, I would say. They're um, well done, you know. I would think. I yeah. think, yeah, they, they were um, th- they didn't ever at any point dominate the plot. They were just mm-hmm. there. And it, it makes you empathize, empathize with the characters more, you know, knowing that they're worried about their loved ones, which is exactly what you would expect in something like this. Yeah. Yeah, I thought that I really liked it. Yeah.
0: I love the variety, though. You've got a uh, a, a younger wife and husband. Mm-hmm. You have the assistant and the. That's probably a taboo affair. Robert Wagner and his assistant. Yeah, he's keeping that uh, off you got, a secret. That's kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. And she mentions before they uh, die, or she's like, "I won't ever be able to." Or the upside is, I won't be able to ever tell anybody about us, or something. Mm-hmm. Or no one's ever going to find out about us. Uh, then you have Fred Astaire and his lady. That's the older hookup as Matt mm-hmm. said. Um, and then you've got the dysfunctional relationship with
1: Richard Chamberlain and Duncan's daughter. Man, they really and make then, him out to be a jerk too, don't they? Yeah. He's and that's like, that's the, actually the, 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 sorry, but the fire department, they come into the room and they're like, you can't go down there. It's impassable. And he's like, I'm going, are you coming? And she's like, no, they said that you can't go down there. And he's <laughs> like, well, if you need permission to save your own life, see you later. And then he just leaves. And I'm like, okay. And then, of course, the freaking stairs blow up while he's in there. And he comes back and he's burned and in tatters. And he's like, hey. And then she runs up and is like, oh, I missed you. And I'm just like, that's a one-sided relationship if ever I've seen
0: one. The, The only downside or ding I have as far as that is that he is completely irredeemable. Like he does nothing in the movie. That is a good thing. He doesn't. Yeah. He, he
1: is completely one dimensionally bad. They, they make him out to be pretty Weasley, and, and I guess they just do that so that you're not sad that everybody gets it. You know, when he gets it, you're like, yeah, but everybody else, you're like, Oh no.
0: Yeah. Kind of like, um, and this movie made me think of it, but Titanic, Hmm. um, The the what was his name? Yeah, the the, the
1: fiance, the one that Rose is engaged to. Yeah, how Mm -hmm. he's kinda he pushes his pushes his way onto the boat. Yeah. (laughs) It's actually a very similar scene when he's trying to get on that little chair. I forget what they called that, but the breeches buoy. Yeah, that. Yeah.
0: Yeah, this movie made me think of Titanic. Of course, this came first, so I assume maybe James Cameron took Took some ideas from Towering Inferno. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the mayor and his wife are kind of the older established couple. Um, The other thing I like that they did was the use of children. Mm-hmm. and That's a weird thing in, to say. I know. But I get what you mean. <laughs> putting them in peril adds a level of suspense. Always. Uh, Always to the movie does. That, that uh, I didn't necessarily enjoy,
1: but I get it. Like. It, well, it takes it, it up ended. a notch anytime there's a kid yeah. involved. And, you know, I, sure. I have to mention the the scene where they're climbing down the stairs after the stairs blow up. That is one of the tensest scenes in the movie. And the, mm-hmm. the worst part to me was when the boy says that he's going to do it on his like he thinks he can make it. And he just starts climbing down all by himself. Oh, my gosh. My heart was beating so fast during that scene. (laughs) And I couldn't help but put myself in the shoes of that woman watching. uh, Essentially, I guess that was that her grandchild or was that a child she was watching? Or was she just Uh, a neighbor? I I think she may have just been a neighbor sense.
0: Yeah, maybe I never got a good sense of what her relationship
1: was. We're going to say she was a neighbor. Uh, and she, you know, she, so these kids have a deaf mother and they are already moved into the tower. Um, some people had moved into this tower, which had residential areas, but for the most part, it was unoccupied because it had just opened. And Mm -hmm. so she went to check on this deaf lady, OJ Simpson saw her on the camera or saw, knew that they were up there. So ran up there, saw her, went in. There was this whole thing. But the mom winds up getting carried out by OJ because she's unconscious. And what happens then is the fire kicks up behind OJ. And you've then got uh, Paul Newman, the architect, or Doug, left behind Mm -hmm. with this neighbor lady who ran to get their attention and the, the two kids, which there's a little girl and a little boy. So they they try to make it down the stairwell when there's an explosion. The stairwell blows up and they have to climb over essentially a a sheer drop of like six stories down to more stairs. And it's it's super tense.
0: (laughs) So the only other things I wanted to mention was that I thought the catalyst for the whole disaster starting was a little convenient and it was a little hokey. Yeah, let's just come like, out and say um, it. Yeah. So a breaker box shoots open and sparks come out of it. And lo and behold, what's below it is a bunch of
1: gasoline and I guess paper towels Spray or towels with and rags and- <laughs> in the utility closet. Yeah. What, yes, what happens so- is two things blow at the same time. There's, right. there's a breaker box that's in this main room where the engineers are, and then there's a breaker box in a closet that blows and starts a fire. The security system picks up on the sensor that there's a fire. So they go down to check it out, and they wind up thinking that that original breaker box blowing was the fire. So they cancel the alarm and just think the system's glitching out, which is how the fire spreads and, and takes off. Here's yeah. my problem with that. Um It's a a fine premise. I I get it. That makes sense. I can see that happening. Right. That's not my problem. My problem was the fire in that utility closet gets started at like lunchtime
0: Mm
1: -hmm. and it just we see it every once in a while. The camera cuts to it and it's just like a little fire, like these little rags are just burning and Mm -hmm. they burn until the party at like eight And then they, then I guess they take over. like it's it's yeah. very confusing because you've got an open fire in this gas room with spray paint and everything flammable <laughs> in the world. and it. it looks like a powder room in a ship, ship's hold in yeah. an old pirate movie. Uh-huh. And it just burns for six hours. The rags don't burn up, nothing happens. It just burns. And then, after the party starts, it starts getting crazy. That, yeah. that was one thing that did bother me. 100% agree that the, the convenience
0: of what, how it's everything kickstarted bothered me. And then the fact that the fire took forever to get out of that one room.
1: And I tell and, you, there's another part to that too. And I think and- we have to read between the lines to get to it. And I'm sorry, I just interrupted you. No, Sometimes that's thoughts say. Okay. pop into my head and I just go with them. So I apologize. <laughs> um, but if you look at various points through the movie, you see fires happening on different floors. Now, logically, mm-hmm. the fire is going to follow one path. You're not going to have a fire here and then four floors down. Another one breaks out randomly. It's going to move between floors. That's right. Mm-hmm. So I think we have to extrapolate from that. That there were multiple fires in the building that we didn't know about. That's the only way it makes sense to me that I, the electrical yeah. system caused extra fires and we just didn't see them happen. No, I agree with you,
0: but I guess the one fire they were focusing on, which is the one that we originally saw, didn't move out of that Mm-mm. that room and didn't even start smoking, or at least they didn't notice the smoke. For a long time. Yeah. And it was a good, like after the second shot of the fire, it looks like it's a good fire.
1: Like, yeah, it's going to going to make some movement. Which I mean, they they explain it a little bit because the sprinkler systems and the fire alarms weren't active yet. They they said that. Right. But at the same time, like you would think the fire would just burn itself out, you know. Yeah. Or Or spread and get out of control. Yeah,
0: that's what I was expecting is we got a fire here. It's not a small fire. And so within an hour, it should be engulfing like the entire room and multiple rooms. And yeah, so it was weird. Yeah, They, they took but their time with that one. It could have been a three and a half hour movie. I, I assume they cut stuff yeah. <laughs> to, to make it shorter. Um, <laughs> so
1: and they did do All a right. good job of covering this, though. Uh, You know, the fire does stay pretty well contained until Mm -hmm. that one guy opens the door and we get the whole backdraft set up. The air rushes into the room and it kind of explodes out. And that's when things really start getting crazy. So uh, it's cool that they did that. But it's that also makes it weird. Right. Because why would they pay like backdraft attention? But then not the fact that this fire is just sitting on some rags for four hours. Or longer. That was odd. Not causing smoke that anybody notices. It it was definitely odd. And I don't, I mean, I'm no fireman. Maybe that happens, but it sure seemed unbelievable. I do want to point out that uh, something I thought was interesting is right when the opening credits start to roll, we get a full color screen uh, dedicating this movie to firemen um, across Mm -hmm. the world. And I thought that was super cool. Um, One, it's it's the earliest movie I can think of that has a dedication like that. And two, even in modern movies, typically you see that dedication at the end of the film before the credits roll. This was right Mm -hmm. up front. They're like, this movie is about firefighters. You guys are awesome. Thank you for doing this for us. Mm -hmm. I thought that was super cool.
0: Yeah. Oh, that reminds me that, yes, I wanted to make sure that I said that I thought this movie, it felt like a public service announcement with that opening thing. And then the ending uh, statement that Steve McQueen says Mm -hmm. about, you know, you should contact us the next time you want to build a building. Oh, that was a great line, too. All right. I'm asking. (laughs) Yeah. That was great. You know where I am or something like that. Oh, it was so good. So it it felt like the movie was trying to. Preach or not, it wasn't preachy, but it was trying to uh, communicate the message of, you know, these high-rise buildings—they aren't built the way they should be built to prevent potential fire hazards, and the firemen should be consulted whenever these uh, high-rise buildings are built. Yeah, basically, and
1: there's a there's a big scene where he's like, "I built it to code." McQueen or uh, <laughs> Paul Newman, Doug, he was like to code, to code. It was, it was pretty good.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: Um, but yeah, the, this movie, in this movie, the, the firefighters are the real heroes, uh, just like in real mm-hmm. life. And um, anyone yeah. out there who uh, is a firefighter or who has loved ones who are firefighters, um, this movie is a really good homage to them. Although watch this yeah. with caution because they, they do get injured and killed in this film. Yeah, which is... Something That's how that it is, yeah. But yeah. you know, if if you're a loved one whose significant other or child or parent is a fireman or woman, and uh, goes into these situations, that might cause you some anxieties. So you probably already yeah. know that going into a movie called The Towering Inferno. <laughs> in case you don't, you should know that yeah. while they're the heroes, they do get hurt. Mm-hmm. All right, I think we thought the
0: the plot was good it was good like it good for a disaster movie yeah okay art direction and cinematography so art art direction is set design overall visual appearance of the movie cinematography is the camera work uh so
1: cinematography outstanding there were some amazing sweeping shots. I remember one in particular where we're outside the promenade looking in and kind of orbiting the the building, um, looking mm-hmm. in on the party. That was super um, just great. So many great shots of, um, you know, just fires everywhere. Uh, this is going to bleed into visual effects. So I got to be I got to be kind of careful here. But um just, just great all around. I was never confused despite the fact that it was chaos everywhere. I could tell what was going on. I could follow what was happening. Uh, the scenes mm-hmm. were well, well shot and well, well shown to us. And I have to imagine it's really hard to do that adequately when you've got fire everywhere, at, you know, screwing with your light sources. So, I mean, the fire has to become your light sources. And which means that you have to design exactly where the fires are on these sets. That has to be incredibly difficult. Um, mm-hmm. I can't imagine the the work and research that had to go into building these sets. Um, I, I know a lot of the fire was piped gas, um, but, you know, you have to know where to pipe it so that it looks good. It's in the shot and your actors can safely move past it and interact. It, it, well done. Super well done. Mm
0: hmm um i have the same critique that you had about the plot i guess like it it the camera work wasn't necessarily inventive Mm -hmm. but it was the camera work was done in such a way in a classic way uh so everything like you said made sense you you weren't confused about what you were seeing yeah uh so i give it credit for that um and for sure the Out exterior shots with the helicopters and the shots of the
1: building itself up up high was, was good. And see, Um, this is where, and I say, we're kind of bleeding into visual effects, but you kind of have to, to an extent here with this movie, this movie has no digital effects other than maybe some blue or green screen stuff in it. And so the buildings that we're looking at, are, are scale models that they, they created. They're not, you know, they obviously didn't build a 200 floor skyscraper in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. And so some of the shots, in order to get them like they need to be, you have to, you have to position the camera and film the scene with forced perspective so that while you're looking at a 35 foot model tower, it looks like you're actually looking at a giant skyscraper. And, and so you have to take that into account in, in movies like this.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And that's why we kind of lump in art direction, and cinematog- cinematography because sometimes it, it does bleed over, mm-hmm. but set design for sure. Like you said, the scale model building, uh, the camera position on those, the visual appearance of the building before, during and after the fire, all of that stuff was great. Good use of um, paintings. Yes. Um, backdrops, whatever you want to call them. Mm hmm. The the power had kind of this futuristic look because it had just had knobs and switches and stuff in the control rooms. Yeah, those were great looking.
1: Looked like like something out of like uh, Star Trek. Yeah, but it was all Um, thought out. Right. Like the the things that they showed us had purpose and we saw them acting to that purpose, which I have to give Mm -hmm. respect for. They weren't just, you know, Star Trek dude digits that do whatever, you know they they like they said this these are the main breakers for these sets of power grids these power grids and these floors and this is the generator like they they actually point out what the stuff is and that's really cool yeah the only part
0: that i was just like this is too much was uh, when oj simpson was at the controls and all the lights were blinking oh yeah he's like restarting Christmas lights <laughs> And he was just switching them on and off and they weren't doing anything. And I was like, I have no idea what any of
1: this stuff is. I mean, is. here's the deal, though. I mean, that was analog technology, you know, that, that wasn't yeah. run by computers like it would be today. So right. you in, in theory, you could just turn it off and on and it would just start right back up it, because mm-hmm. it's literally just electrical connections. Uh, yeah, lots of attention to detail. Um, We
0: already mentioned the sense of scale, but just. They had some wide shots of other skyscrapers in the city, mm-hmm. and then they had the towering the the glass tower. Which they were,
1: and it was you could tell obviously that they were fake. Yes. <laughs> the glass yes. tower and the the building that they repelled onto. Mm-hmm. Yeah, some of some you of the stuff it was. Uh, it's seventy four. Yeah. You give it a pass.
0: There weren't many things though. Like Mm-mm. those are the things. Those things you mentioned were the one. That and there was a few instances of smoke that I could tell they were using like a smoke machine. You're right. And you know, they were just blowing it in front of the camera. um uh, but the f- maybe we should just move into visual effects because
1: Well, there's one more thing I want to talk about with Art Direction. Okay. I want to talk about uh Doug's office. Okay. Did you notice like it was all yellow and orange? <laughs> yeah. Like, like the whole opening of the movie when he comes in and he goes to his office, first of all, they have the most amazing offices I've ever seen in my life in this movie. Yeah. They've got like, they're not offices, they're suites with rooms and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, Pretty fantastic. But I, I thought this was interesting because, you know, Doug, the architect, his office is done entirely in like yellows and oranges. He's wearing an orange shirt. Mm-hmm. And later on, that room burns. What well, colors fire, mm-hmm. John? Yellow, red, orange. Yeah, it's the same color scheme. <laughs> and, and I got to wondering: Do you think I wonder if that was intentional, or if that was just a cool looking color scheme in the seventies? Maybe so. I mean, I, probably both.
0: But there were some things like um, the motto for um, oh, yeah. Duncan Enterprises. There were definitely illusions. We
1: build for life. <laughs> and then Honestly the not. uh the the song the original song that she sings in the promenade the candle in the dark i was like oh <laughs> the candles yeah. so, the building <laughs> it's going up in flames showing us the stuff. way the way yep. being uh talk to firefighters before you build skyscrapers maybe <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah all those things were were awesome um Anything
1: else in art direction? That's it. We're, we're, we are okay. t- we are dallying. Dilling, even our, our bush beating needs to uh, stop and we need to move forward.
0: Visual effects. Okay. This is where we want to talk about the fire. And I, it's some of the best it's fire so effects I've seen in a movie. Oh, it's so good. I mean,
1: I, and it's all I, practical.
0: I yeah. Maybe you've done your research on this, Matt. I don't know, but did they were actual firefighters brought in to do some of the. Yes.
1: The firefighting. Uh, okay. Most of the firefighters you see are actual volunteer firefighters who stepped into be in the movie. Um, yeah. I, I don't remember the numbers. I, I read them and looked them up, but they let's say I don't know how many sets they actually constructed. But when they were done. Uh, they had destroyed, utterly destroyed, and burned down all but two of them. <laughs> it, just in the making of the film, that's how intense the, these fire effects were. They literally were burning up their own sets while they were filming the the, the scenes with the fire. And yeah. it is intense and crazy and real feeling. And oh boy, it's it's something to see. Yeah,
0: yeah they they went all out on it and. It shows and it's the movie is better for it because you really get that sense of like I I'm pretty certain I was getting warm uh while watching the movie because mm-hmm. I could actually I was into the movie so much that I was like, ah, it's kinda getting warm in here. Absolutely. <laughs> uh yeah, it was great. It and uh man. kudos to the actors and
1: everybody that was around that stuff and I also want to mention the uh, the the big climactic end scene where they blow the water tanks. What Mm -hmm. a scene that was. You've got Mm -hmm. fire. You've got and it's not explosions. It's just gusts of fire like you would expect in a building fire. You've got water flooding in, just sweeping everything away. Uh, Actors, you know, like roped in, tying themselves in, and this flood of water and this erupting fire, just, wow, what a scene, man. <laughs> I cannot imagine how you coordinated that, but it is incredible. And uh, for those of you who who may remember this, there used to be a, a like a backlock tour, and I think Universal had something similar to this, but there were rides you could go on. Uh, Both Universal and Disney, I think, had one where you go into a canyon and like usually like a tanker truck or something catches on fire and then a big flood comes and washes it away like that had to have been inspired by by this movie and, and disaster movies of this era, because it felt like I was in that. It was just it was crazy. There's just there's there's, you know, building, crumbling, rock falling, statues falling water rushing everywhere, fire flying up. It is one of the craziest things I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you,
0: <clears throat> this should be noted is there are several large action set pieces in this movie. Um. Well, should we talk about action in its own category? I didn't have this down. I mean, it doesn't matter. We can do it now. That's fine. Yeah. There are several large action set pieces in this movie and you see one and you're like, How are they going to top that? And then they top it. And then you're like, well, they can't top that. And then they top it. And it's like they know how to dole out that action and and give you increasingly more harrowing and thrilling things until you get to the very end of the movie. And Mm I
1: thought that was really well done. And and I've got to say the uh, there's a couple of scenes that really took me by surprise and I didn't expect Um, the, the scene where the, the group rushes into the elevator and then they wind up catching on fire and the elevator comes back up. You're just like, oh my gosh, like this guy just comes out of the umbrella, uh, the umbrella out of the elevator in flames. And he just falls down Mm -hmm. dead on the floor in front of everybody. Uh, the scene where, um, Robert Wagner's character, Dan, uh, tries to run out to get help. And he just instantly catches flames. Like mm-hmm. that stuntman was on fire for a long time. And that scene was amazing looking. Like there's yeah. just fire everywhere. And this guy's stumbling through, burning. It's, it's, it's so intense. Um, there's a scene where we see uh, poor Lori fall out of the elevator. And when she falls, you see her like hit the building and spin and in the skin. air yeah. and while she's going down. I was just <laughs> like, "Holy crap! This is this yeah. is incredibly graphic. I didn't expect this. Mm-hmm. Um, just amazing stuff." Now, I will say, some of the
0: some of the stuntmen, it was clear that they were stuntmen. Oh yeah, and they were wearing uh, padding and all the they had the wax on, and they were they were dummies and stuff too. Yeah, so it wasn't a perfect home run but
1: they you
0: can't i can't think of another I mean, way that's they how they did it back then yeah i mean you yeah. can't
1: you can't literally throw a stunt man who's burning off the side of a building you know <laughs> you've yeah. got to you got to work with what you got even when yeah. what you got is millions of dollars <laughs> <laughs> so visual effects
0: chef's kiss amazing uh the fire effects
1: alone are worth watching. Top notch, <laughs> amazing. Uh, score uh, a little yeah. dated now, but wonderful. Um, it's I'm not going to give it the uh, amazing theme award because you could you could play the theme and I would just be like, oh, that's some nice 70s music. But <laughs> it, it was it was good enough. I I never really thought to myself, this music's great or this music's terrible. Um, it was it was just good it fit the film it worked okay um yeah i had no issues with it
0: i thought it was smartly used um we open with this uh kind of upbeat bombastic score of with bombastic
1: uh, yeah
0: paul newman riding his uh, helicopter back from wherever he was
1: at it's mr paul um, newman he's a helicopter going back to san francisco all right <laughs> boom, up that
0: track and uh, <laughs> release it. <laughs> it's done. <laughs> um, but then, you know, as the movie progresses, we get more of this ominous score. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I like that they used it smartly in that there wasn't music at all in some spots. Yeah. Uh,
1: I love and, it when they do that.
0: Yeah. You know, I think it was when Paul Newman was running down some stairs, which he does several times throughout the movie, but there was nothing playing. He was just running down the stairs. Um, Mm -hmm. And then whenever people were in peril or there was danger, that score would kind of build up and then become uh, more prominent. But yeah, I thought it was good.
1: And something Mm -hmm. we should note. Yes.
0: I was going to say, go ahead.
1: The music in this (laughs) film was done by somebody, uh, most people would probably recognize when it comes to film music. Do you know who that yeah. was, John? I you didn't until know. the
0: credits rolled.
1: <laughs> yep,
0: I didn't until the <laughs> credits rolled.
1: <laughs> that's right, Mr. John Williams did this movie. It
0: doesn't really sound like him,
1: Mm-mm. but that's I one think of the this reasons was um, pretty early in his career, wasn't it?
0: Yeah, this was pre-Superman, pre-Star Wars, so it It might have been one of the first big movies he's he did I'm not sure
1: it it definitely was um i am looking it up now uh this movie came out in seventy four uh so he did uh the towering inferno in seventy four um he had quite a bit under his belt by the end, but I don't see a lot of big ones um mostly t v actually at that point in his career. Uh, he did the test reel for planet of the apes, which is kind of interesting. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that's, this is one of his first really big movies, this, and he did, um, earthquake at the same time as he did this, which those movies, earthquake, another famous (laughs) seventies disaster movie that came out nearly the same time as the towering Inferno did. And in fact, a lot of theaters showed them as double features back to back, um, and this was the year before he made one of, I guess, his first real famous score. He also did the Poseidon Adventure two years prior. It was just interesting. <laughs> too. He's got all the big disaster movies under his belt. The big three. <laughs> but he, uh, you know, 74, he did this. Do you know what movie came out in 75 that is to this day still iconic? Probably his first true iconic soundtrack. Um, 75? Yep. 75. It wasn't Star
0: Wars. It wasn't Superman. Um, Wasn't Jaws.
1: It yeah, was Jaws. Jaws. Good job, my friend. <laughs> His first real iconic theme, in my opinion, Jaws. Two years later, oh, yeah. Star Wars comes out um, as well as Close Encounters. So, I mean, this really um, is right before John Williams became the John Household Williams. name. Yeah. yeah. He is definitely my favorite composer.
0: He's amazing. There's Everything no, he touches is I mean, gold. No, there are others, but he's he's uh, way ahead of the race. <laughs> yeah. Anything that we didn't cover in any of the other categories that you want to mention? I have a few.
1: Uh, let's see. Um, we talked about the cast. There, there is one thing I wanted to talk about. Um, that is the way this movie hits differently today than it did in the time it was made, which this was again, 1974, when this movie premiered and Mm -hmm. it's eerily prophetic. Um, you know, they mention in particular in the last scene, when they're talking about, uh, Steve McQueen and and Paul Newman are talking and Steve McQueen's like, when are they going to learn to ask us before you build them? And, uh, he says, you know, we, we lost like I don't know what the body count was like 137 people or something like that died today. He's like, if y'all don't start talking to us one day, it's going to be over 10,000. Right. And when he says that just today you get a chill because instantly you think to okay. nine 11. And in yeah. fact, this movie has a lot of, of eerie similarities. You know, you've got a giant high rise where people are trapped on top floors. You've got people who are throwing themselves out of windows because they're Trying Well, they're on fire in this movie, but they're yeah, they're trying they're doing, to get away from the heat. Yeah, um,
0: they're doing what they think they can do to get away. And
1: it's It definitely gives this movie a hard edge that it, it couldn't have had in 74 because, you know, most people nowadays, which we're, we're, we're getting a younger generation that's coming up that didn't witness this. But most adults nowadays can remember 9-11 happening. And you know, a lot of us even remember seeing it on the news live. I know I do. I remember very clearly seeing that happen and Mm -hmm. watching this movie after witnessing that really kind of brings a gravity to the film that I don't think it originally had without that. Um, And it it definitely um, can sober, sober you up real quick watching this film. And it, it adds to the, what the tension, I guess you could say.
0: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I wasn't necessarily thinking about 9-11 while watching, but uh, I could see where if you had that mindset going in, it would have been a more uh, it would have had more impact. I got to be honest, some points I was laughing throughout the movie because there was some was there just, was some silly
1: the, parts for sure. Yeah. Um, but I, just, yeah I, all, I feel like post 9-11, this movie hits a lot harder than it did before. Yeah.
0: I mean, there was no big high-rise disaster of that magnitude until 9-11. I mean,
1: There's it wasn't a, the
0: same kind of disaster, but it it was close enough that I could see the similarities. Like there, there
1: was one part where you see uh, the fire chief, Steve McQueen, he, he's talking to his fire guys, and he tells them to move the barricade for people back at least mm-hmm. four blocks. Yeah. As soon as he said that, I was like, "Oh my gosh!" Because the building's gonna collapse, and I was just like, "Wow!"
0: I actually kept waiting for that to happen. Yeah, but it did not. All right. Well, my stuff isn't as uh, prophetic as, as your statement, but
1: <laughs> this is where I, I put nitpicks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I mean, um, it, you know, the movie was was made before nine eleven. They had no idea nine eleven was going to happen. I just wanted to note that watching it post nine eleven makes it hit a little bit harder than I think it used to. Now it it has nothing to do with the movie other than there's similarities between the event and the film. So it seems like everyone is able
0: to freely move around the building, except for the people that are required to die. (laughs) Like Steve McQueen and, and uh, Paul Newman are just going up and down stairs. They're using the elevator. Everything's fine. Um,
1: Well, they were using some elevators, right? Yeah. They they had the lay of the land and they were operating out of that command center and they didn't mm-hmm. move about easily. I, in fact, I think any time Paul Newman went anywhere, it was a really big ordeal.
0: <laughs> well, in some cases, but there were a lot of scenes where he was just going up and down the stairs. Yeah, but eh, it wasn't it wasn't that big of a deal. I just thought it interesting that that they were able to move around um, the helicopter at the end of the movie. Um, that they were going to get on. Yeah, yeah. Um, I figured this was coming. <laughs> yeah, so that it, was rough. <laughs> they, they were only going to bring out 10 women uh, because of women and children first. They come out on top of the roof. The helicopter is about to drop down and two ladies come out and they start flailing their arms and the helicopter makes a hard turn I'm not sure what it hits, but whatever it hit, it exploded the helicopter. Now, wait,
1: the helicopter exploded because I thought I saw a cardboard box explode.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, My eyes may have deceived me. Maybe it was a cardboard box.
1: (laughs) That was the one visual effect that looked pretty terrible. (laughs) That helicopter blowing up like you cut to right before it blows up and it looks like somebody built a helicopter out of cardboard and then they blew it up. Mm. It looks awful. Yeah,
0: I it didn't. I don't know. That was the most disappointing part because it's like, I get it. You want to kind of prevent the easy way out, but that helicopter shouldn't have blown up. It didn't hit it. I mean, even if it hit something, it would have spun instead of explode.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah, I it didn't make a I lot of know. sense. And then, yeah. well, now the roof's on fire. Can't go up there anymore. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yep, that avenue's blocked. And, and um, they did try to sell it with it's too windy to land a helicopter, but they were going to try mm-hmm. anyway. But nah, I don't, I don't know. I'm with you on that. That was kind of weak. Yeah. Uh, here's uh, a nitpick for you. Go ahead. Yeah. O.J. Simpson's character was a big nitpick mm-hmm. for me. I got really invested in his character. Um, I, I thought he was doing a great job acting and his his kind of security head um, head of security not security head uh, role was an interesting one to me because he wasn't a trained firefighter but he felt responsibility to get people to safety mm-hmm. We get a great scene where he goes to rescue uh, the three the, the two kids and the deaf lady and uh, Lori is it Lori? Mm-hmm these are red or something yeah uh he goes to rescue them and he does and he gets in and he finds the the deaf mother of the two kids unconscious on the bed and so he scoops her up and he he walks out and then he decides he needs to check all of the rooms and so he starts going room to room and we see him find her cat and he rescues her cat and mm-hmm. that's the last we see of him till the end of the movie <laughs> right. and, and so, like for the entirety of the movie, and I was watching it with some friends, and I kept saying this. I was like, w- "What happened to OJ?" Like, <laughs> you know, you see the you see the kids stuck with Paul Newman and uh, Lottie or Lori. I need to look that up because I don't need to be saying that wrong over and over again. Lisa Red, I think, is her. It's weird. It's a weird. Lisa Lett was that her? Lisa Lett. Yeah. Okay. For some reason, I thought it was Lori by Susan Flannery, but regardless the, that character. Uh, so it's her and the two girls and Paul Newman, and they go through this whole ordeal just to get back to the promenade, you know, a couple floors over them. And we don't know what happened to OJ. We, we see him with the cat and then he disappears. And I was just Mm -hmm. like, what happened to him? Where's the mom? Where's the cat? Where did OJ go? Like what's happened? And we don't find out until pretty much the end of the movie when he's on the ground with the cat. That yeah. really bothered me. I wanted to know his story. Like what happened
0: there? I think he got the cat and went in a, got in his Ford Bronco and drove off. If that's the case, it would have <laughs> been on the news, I think.
1: Oh, yeah, it should have been on the news. But anyway, th- that bothered anyway. me because I got into that character and I wanted to see what happened. I wanted to see how that played mm-hmm. out. And I felt robbed of that because we just yeah. have to assume. I guess he went down 145 flights of stairs carrying a lady and then he later went down 140. He went back up and then went back down with the cat. I I, I don't know.
0: Yeah. And the next time we see him, he still has the cat. So he's yeah. been carrying this cat around for hours.
1: He gives it to uh, doing whatever. <laughs> Gives it to Harley Claiborne, who is Fred Astaire. The cat being yep. orphaned now as poor either Lisa Lett or Lori falls to her death. I think you're right. I think it's Lisa Lett because Lori was the,
0: the was girl the who. assistant.
1: Yeah. Blew up and jumped out the window.
0: Uh, speaking of her, Robert Wagner's character, who was her love Thank interest. Thank you, J. Rudd. J. Rudd
1: pointed out it is Lisa Lett. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, Robert Wagner's character was a dummy uh telephones worked the whole time everything's burning and and blowing yeah. up and the telephone lines are intact
1: <laughs> yeah which i mean i think that would work I, I you didn't need power to have telephones then they were separate lines yeah but there's fire everywhere in the walls like yeah it, it melts a
0: RJ 45 cable. You, you no longer have telephone service. RJ 45. Listen to him.
1: Yeah. It's Simmons. Um, I'm, I'm Simmons over there. <laughs> uh, one thing I did want to point out in case you're confused about that. Uh, interesting. Maybe not interesting. Uh, disaster movie of a opening that we did. Um, so you've got Lori and you've got her bow um who is uh Dan Bigelow and they're having an affair and he goes in to the office and he sends tells everyone else to leave and then he says I've got a letter I need you immediately it's got to go out tonight and uh they go into the office and start getting all makey outy uh in fact a lot of people get really makey outy in this movie but um hmm. He decides that he doesn't want to be disturbed. He wants it to be secret. And so uh, before he goes in there, he has all of the phones on that floor disabled so that nobody can call and find him. And that's why uh, he gets stuck in that room with her, because the fire spreads to that office and he can't call out because he shut off the phones. And I thought that was awfully odd. And then, of course, he, he pretends to call the fire department, but he doesn't. He does it just to keep his lady calm. But, mm-hmm. the, you know, the first time he looks out and sees the office on fire, he might have had a chance to get out then. But instead, yeah. he just closes the door and pretends like everything's fine. And then later, when he does <sighs> open the door, it's just, uh, you know, not good. That's why I said he was a dummy, because they had
0: a they had a better opportunity to leave when he saw the fire the first time. Yeah. Then they wait. Then he's like, "I ran a hundred and ten and ten minutes," and then
1: he runs outside.
0: And all he, he does is put a wet fire. towel on his head.
1: <laughs> I was like, "Get in the shower and get your whole suit wet or something," right? Like, yeah. Within seconds, he's in flames. Yeah, he makes it like three <laughs> steps before he's completely engulfed.
0: Oh, uh, it was it was bad. So the only other thing was. They don't really show how the people in the promenade get down after they put, uh, after the fire is uh, extinguished. Yes. I I would like to have known because they made an explicit mention that the stairwell was destroyed. The elevators aren't working. So,
1: yeah, I don't know. No clue. Elevators are broke. Uh, Simmons made sure that 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 chair (laughs) was gone. Yeah. Uh, Because he rushed it with some other goons and they wound up breaking the rope and it fell down and crashed. They managed to put the fire out, but everybody's still up there and can't get down. It's a pretty legitimate question.
0: Yeah, Because reasons and because the movie was was already two hours and 45 minutes. I think that's the reason (laughs) there.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Nobody really cared about watching them have to repel with firemen teaching them how to do it and all that kind of thing. I'm assuming yeah. that's how they did it. They got ropes and volunteers, and they helped them get down with, you know, mm-hmm. repelling and such. Yeah, either that's either a nitpick. Fix like, the power somehow. Yeah,
0: it's a nitpick. Like I'm just curious. But if I if they had actually filmed all that, I would have been like, oh. We don't it's need a to legitimate see this. concern
1: because yeah. I mean they're down on the ground the same night that they put the fire out. You know, and then you would think it would take hours, to, if not days, to get them down. Overall thoughts and then star rating. Uh, so I am a, an absolute sucker for disaster movies. Uh, that needs to be said before I, I I give my star rating. I eat them up. I, I love them. And I, I don't really know why. I guess it's the blend of action and seeing, you know, in most cases, for the most part, everyday people dealing with things that are actually could be a threat um i I like the survival aspect of it maybe combined with the action and the drama so i love them uh i watch a lot of them any chance i get i'll watch them and most of the time i even like the bad ones so i mean you give me a rock (laughs) disaster movie i'm gonna be like let's go let's Mm -hmm. watch it Mm -hmm. um that said um i've seen a fair share of them and this is without question one of the best i've ever seen Um, it's believable. Nobody's doing Superman stuff here. Uh, Everything they do is believable. Although, you know, they make some stupid moves, but even that's believable because honestly, people can be pretty stupid. Yeah. Um, There's a little bit of, of Superman stuff like uh, when they hook the elevator up to the helicopter and fly it down to the ground, um, stuff like that. But that's nitpicky, especially in these type of movies where we tend to get a little comic booky occasionally. Uh, so I forgive that, even though for the most part, I felt like this was a pretty realistic thing. Um, man, when the, when the fire starts in earnest, which happens, like John said, about 30 minutes into the film, the tension cranks and it just, it it keeps going. Uh, from that point forward, I could not look away from the screen. I was completely enthralled in this film. Uh, Every, every part of it I I loved there. Like I said, there were here and there, there were little nitpicks, but for the most part, I was completely engrossed in this and I was blown away that I was watching an older movie that came out in 1974. And that I was seeing the things that I was seeing, um, high marks all around. I've got to come in high on this. Um, I'm going to give this one a eight, I think. Although I'm tempted to roll it up to a nine, I'm going to come in with a solid eight.
0: Okay. That's a good score.
1: And I'm really, I'm really fighting a battle too. Cause I, I, I keep thinking, no, this movie's a solid nine. I should give this a nine. And then I'm like, no, it's not quite a nine, but it's almost, it's an eight. It's an eight. So I, I'm going to round down and I'm going to go with the eight, but I, I want to make it clear. If this is really good. And it's potentially a mm-hmm. nine. And if you like disaster films, really solid action films, firefighter movies, any of that freaking go watch this. Cause it's incredible.
0: Um, I generally agree. Uh, I thought this was a really fun movie. Um, really good disaster movie. It's not the best disaster movie I've ever seen, but it's up there. It's definitely in my top three, top five, uh, for sure. Uh, the only, the dings for it is it's really long, so it's not a movie you can really sit down and and digest. You have to make it a you have to carve out some time to watch this movie. Um, and it starts slow, which I said before, it's not a bad thing, but you that's that darn fire just doesn't get going as quickly as you so, want it to. Uh,
1: what you're telling me is that this movie is a little bit of a um, slow burn. Yes, I'm on fire tonight. What can I say? Yeah, you're an inferno
0: of jokes. Um, But the performances make up for it. The score, the action, uh, all the scenes that we mentioned, just ratcheting up that tension. The fire special effects are bar none. Like there's only a few other movies I can think of. Maybe one other movie I can think of that has that, that those kind of fire effects. Um, Paul Newman and Steve McQueen are legendary actors in their prime or maybe a little over their prime, but they're still amazing. The chemistry between them is great. I love all the different romance angles that they hit on that attach you to these characters and make you feel for them. Um, The set design and the scale at which they shot this entire this glass tower it makes you feel like it's this huge tower they s- they, <laughs> they slowly show you the floor numbers and they start with like 80 and then they're going up and they're like at 130 you're like what's the top floor on this thing mm-hmm. and you're like oh okay it's 130 and then they go to 135 and then you're like is it 135 and then they're at 137 and I-, I think the last number I saw was 137 but it's a very, very big building, and mm-hmm. they do a good job of representing that scale. Um, so, overall, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a really well-made movie. It's not a perfect movie, um, and I don't think I liked it as much as you did, Matt, but I'll give it a 7 out of 10.
1: All right, an 8 and a 7. That's pretty solid scores. Yeah. it was, It's a good movie. Highly recommended This is definitely a movie I could watch again, too. Um, This is not a a one and done. This is this movie is great. And I highly recommend it. If you haven't seen it, I I really, really hope you check it out because it's I hadn't seen it prior to this viewing. And I've heard good things about it, but I hadn't seen it. And a lot of why I hadn't seen it is I, I tended, And this is this is embarrassing to admit. But the fact that it was made in the 70s, I was like. This movie is going to be corny, and I'm not going to like it. And I'm just, man, I shouldn't watch it. And the t- the the title's not great. I mean, the Towering <laughs> Inferno. It's kind of a lame name, if we're being honest. Uh, right. And so I, I just had been writing it off. But when I looked at at the cast, and I saw the cast in it, and I had heard people talk about it in a positive light, I was like, I've got to see it. And man, if you're if you're in that place where I was, take the plunge and watch this movie. Cause it's, it's great.
0: Yeah. Really? The, the only barrier to entry really is the runtime. Like you've got to be able to carve out about three hours to to watch the movie, but it's worth it. Yeah, definitely. All right. Let's do some spice spice awards. We have four categories. Best Actor, Most Underrated Performance, Favorite Scene, and Most Thrilling Moment.
1: Best Actor. You can't say. Tie. <laughs> I mean, let's be honest here, though. You say I can't say a tie, but it's, it's, it's a toss up between their two <laughs> two of the three leading actors. Uh-huh. Uh, William Holden did amazing, but uh, Paul Newman and Steve McQueen just take over. They're, they're great. They're, you know, they're, they're moving around. They've got all kinds of action scenes. They're dramatic. They're working so well together. It's so hard to choose between the two of them. Um, mm-hmm. If I have to pick one, it's going to be Steve McQueen. Live in business kind of Well, we kind of looked up there too. The majority of them haven't moved in yet and those that have aren't working at night. I want to know who they are, not where they are. And what does that got to do with anything? Who they are? Do you have any wool or silk manufacturers? You see in a fire, wool and silk give off cyanide gas. Do you have any uh, sporting good manufacturers like table tennis balls? They give off toxic gases. Now, do you want me to keep going down the line? No. One list of tenants coming right uh, You know, he he plays Chief O'Halloran, the fire chief. He doesn't even show up until about an hour into the movie or so, 30 minutes to an hour into the movie. But once he shows up, he's, he's so interesting to watch. You know, he he's in the middle of this just disaster that's playing out and he never loses his cool he's always calculated he's always like cool in, in his decision making he he doesn't care who you are like he doesn't care if you're the builder of the building or the mayor or a janitor like he's in charge and you're going to do what he says and he's not putting up with your your business you know and if you've got a question he's just going to tell you this is why You know, the the scene where um, O.J.'s character is like, why do you want a tenant list? And he's like, oh, you got any sporting goods vendors? Well, you know, those balls give off this kind of gas. He's like, you got any carpet or rug vendors up there? Well, this is why. (laughs) And the guy's like, O.J.'s just like, oh, I'll get you a tenant list coming right up. You know, and he does that throughout the movie. Uh, No matter what happens, he keeps this attitude. And you can tell by the way he acts um, and, and, you know, just observing the character that he is dog tired. You know, there's a scene where he's just laying up against the wall and he looks half dead. And then someone's like, someone wants to talk to you. It's the Navy. And he's like, all right, let's go. And he just gets up and goes back to work. Um, Man, like the character was awesome. The acting was amazing. And while Newman was just as good, I've got to give McQueen the edge, just because I loved the way he played that kind of, you know, this sucks, but this is my job. Let's get it done kind of character, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. And
0: I wanted to bring this up before, but I forgot, but the way they portray firemen is a very, like we said, it's, it's a dedication to firemen, but that confidence and that just, they were trained to do this. They're just going to do what they're trained to do. There's no bias. There's no, politics they're just there to do the job and get it done and save lives and yeah they this movie does a great job of representing that absolutely um i also had a hard choice between paul newman and steve mcqueen Mm -hmm. um i ultimately gave it to paul newman
1: that's being rather blunt you betcha and you'll understand my being equally blunt what the hell business is it of yours anyway I'm just wondering what kind of kickbacks were involved. I don't have to take crap from you. Now, listen. We had an electrical flare-up in the main utility room. It looked to me like some of that wiring wasn't exactly what I asked for. Every piece of wire I put in that building is strictly up to code. Inspected and approved. code's not enough for that building. And you know it. That's why I asked for installations that were way, way above standard. Buddy, you live in a dream world. I deal in realities. I want your wiring diagrams and copies of your work orders. it takes take weeks to get all that together, and someone with a lot more clout than you to make me do it in my office. Uh, oh, he
0: he had more screen time. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. He did. Uh, he was he was there more, and so that's kind of what gave him the edge for me. And uh, his role was more physical. Uh, that's true. Steve, Steve McQueen was... he he had a great acting role, uh, but Paul Newman had the acting role and he had this physicality that uh, Steve McQueen didn't seem to have
1: to, to have. Um, I don't know why that was. Well, he had a Uh, lot of scenes like that, but they weren't as strictly physical. Right. Like his were more stunts like, you know, he runs through the fire and holds up the flaming door or he Mm -hmm. clips onto the helicopter and and climbs onto the elevator and holds the guy while they're going down to the ground. But, you know, when you're looking at that on screen, um, he's not climbing through holes in the roof or, you know, Climbing with little girls on their back down broken stairs. So I, yeah. I get what you're saying.
0: Yeah. His, his, uh, action or physicality was more apparent, uh, more,
1: please, uh, eye catching, I guess. Yeah. Um, but well, it, honestly, it was more that, physical. Yeah. I mean, he's doing more physical stuff, even though McQueen's doing physical stuff. It's, you know, if you think about it, you know, like the helicopter scene, he's just standing on a ball while he's clipped into a cable, you know, whereas, you know, Newman is actually climbing through holes and hanging on bars and stuff. But besides
0: that, Paul Newman, he played this confident architect. Uh he, he takes responsibility for his what he considers his uh you know, his responsibility for his uh creations, I guess. Mm-hmm. So he he made the blueprints for this building and he built them such that they were above code in every aspect. And so when some idiot comes in and cuts corners, he now feels responsible, even though he wasn't the one that did it. And that I thought that was an admirable take that they put to that character. Um, he felt like he needed to help out uh, with everybody, just like Steve McQueen. He needed to save lives because he felt personally, personally responsible for the events that were happening. And he even mentions that in the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just like Paul Newman. Like he's been in so many movies that I've enjoyed, like uh Butch Cassidy and Sundance Kid, uh The Color of Money, all these movies. He's just wonderful to watch. Um <laughs> So he gets an edge over Steve McQueen in my book. He does have uh
1: he does have pretty good salad dressing.
0: He does. Newman's own.
1: So, you know, he gets points yeah. for that. Yeah. His
0: face is on the on the package. All right, best actor for me it was Paul Newman, who played Doug Roberts, and Matt's pick was Steve McQueen, who played Chief O'Halloran most underrated performance.
1: So for this one, um, I do have an honorable mention. Uh, as is tradition, <laughs> I'm going to wait until you give yours just in case we've got the same one. Uh, okay. But my actual pick is uh, definitely got to be William Holden oh boy, no, as Jim I Duncan. Now, just how bad is it? Depends on how good your imagination is. Jesus Christ. Specs call for conduit safety covering. How many fuse terminals did you check? How many do I have to? Yeah? Mr. Bigelow's here, sir. Okay, send him in. Now, Doug, one piece of scorched wire from a burned-out circuit breaker... is hardly conclusive. Well, maybe not. But after that, I'm worried about what other shocks we're in for. Uh, you know, he plays the he plays the builder of the place. And at first he's he kind of plays out as being this um kind of Weasley, no good kind of bad guy character. You know, he's um he he wanted to cut the corners and he uh, when the fire chief is like, we've got to evacuate. He's like, no, it's ridiculous. That's, you know, that's floors below us. There's no way that fire could get to us. We're keeping everybody up here. You know, he he's real reluctant to do anything to react to that fire. And, and you could argue that that's a lot of why so many people were hurt and killed. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, uh, uh, you have to respect him because he refused to leave that building until everybody else had. He he owned up to it. He took responsibility for it. And I felt like the, the acting on that role was just on point. You know, at first you're just like, come on, dude, I'm going to punch you in the face. I need you to get this ball moving. But at the end of it, I was like, man, you're pretty, you're pretty all right. You know, maybe, maybe you should have done this, but you know, nobody can argue that you're, you're not a man of your word or that you're, you're not doing what you think's best. And mm-hmm. he, he played that role so well that uh, I have to mention him. And it, it's kind of, it's kind of marginal saying, you know, William Holden is a uh, underrated because he's, you know, a, another very, very famous actor. In fact, he's, he shares top billing uh, in this film with Steve McQueen and Paul Newman. But um, I've got to call out his performance. Cause it was, it was awesome.
0: Yeah. I didn't pick him, but I agree with you. Like, he's this character that. You don't know what you don't know, and he thought there was a or he was told there was a fire, but he doesn't know the gravity of the fire. Right. And this is his baby. This is his building that he just unveiled. He's got all these people here. If he doesn't have to go downstairs, he's not going to. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then once he figures out the gravity of the situation, he's. He takes responsibility he's there to help he's very angry at his um uh nephew or not nephew uh son-in-law son-in-law yeah Yep. so i think there was some implication that maybe he told his son-in-law to cut corners which adds a little more to his uh being despicable but He's a businessman. Well, and I I
1: think when he told him to cut corners, I think it was assumed that he would, you know, cut corners but keep everything safe, and and that's where the discrepancy happened because he cut corners and made things unsafe. I picked, and I I alluded to this
0: before, but I picked Felton Perry as Mm. Scott. Come on, come on.
1: I'm coming. Oh God. Nobody's gonna get down this way.
0: Oh God, we're cut off. Well. <clears throat> The only way is up, come on, let's go. And he was the fireman that was in the promenade at the end of the movie, um, helping out with the breeches buoy and making sure that was all secure and um, helping out with keeping people calm at the, in the promenade. But he is this uh, character actor that has been in Robocop and various other movies. But in this movie in particular, he plays the role of a fireman almost like in my mind, perfectly. Um, You never see him nervous. You never see him scared. He's there. He's a rock like he's there to make sure he's doing his job and keeping people calm by not freaking out. And um, the only time we really see a hint of nervousness in his face is when he's tied to a pillar at the end of the movie and the water's about to come down. He has kind of a, a nervous look. He's looking at uh, Steve McQueen's character and um, kind of a knowing exchange. Like this could be the, mm-hmm. the last of our, our lives, you know? Uh, but I really liked what he did and he doesn't get enough credit as an actor in general. Um, but I think he was, he was really good in this movie,
1: you know, to to add to what you're saying there, um, when they when Steve McQueen rigs the, the gravity, uh, whatever gravity break on the elevator, he's able to let a group of people go down in the elevator.
0: Mm. And so mm.
1: they evacuate um, women and kids and then they send a firefighter down with them so that they would have one with them in case anything goes crazy, which thankfully mm. they do. Because spoilers, it, it does. Uh, but <laughs> you know, I think we're going to get to that. The uh, What that means, there were only two firefighters in the promenade in the beginning anyway. And so once that other firefighter leaves, that means that your boy was alone with a panicked group of um, the upper crust uh, in this building all by himself. And so he's doing this with no backup. It's just him up there. And uh, there was a scene near the end right before he ties himself in. And I remember seeing this and thinking, wow, that's amazing. Everybody's Mm. tying themselves down. Um, They know what's going to happen. They've radioed up that they're going to blow the water tanks above them. And there's fire in the room and he's over there fighting the fire. He's got a hose hooked up to the water system and he's just spraying that fire down everybody's panicking mm-hmm. and tying themselves in and getting ready for the worst. And he's still over there just doing his job and man, yeah. respect for that. It was, uh, it gave me chills, honestly, because he's just over yeah. there doing what he, what he can,
0: you know, now already. Um, most underrated performance for me, Felton Perry as Scott. Matt's pick was William Holden
1: who played Duncan. This is Jim Duncan. Jim Duncan, that's right, and I do want to mention one honorable mention. Oh yeah, your honorable. honorable uh, this was a character that um, I felt drawn to right from the beginning, and and I liked it every scene he was in, um, and that was Gregory Sierra, who played Carlos, the bartender in the Promenade. <laughs> uh, he was an okay. extremely likable character to me. He, uh, you know, he, he's got this fine bottle of wine, this crate of this really expensive, fine wine hidden behind the bar. And he's gets so delighted Mm -hmm. when he takes it out and shows it to the mayor. And, uh, later when there's, when he's tying himself down, he's got that bottle and he's like trying to protect that crate because he knows it's valuable and he's, he's dedicated to his job, I guess. On top of that, when the kids wind up in the promenade or the promenade, he, uh, he makes them like milkshakes and finds some cookies and puts them on a plate and tries to calm them down. And uh, I don't know. I I found that character really endearing and I was, Mm -hmm. I was really tearing hard for him. Uh, Unfortunately, he didn't make it through Uh, a giant Uh. statue falls on him and kills him. But,
0: um, while well, he's under the bar. Like, I know you think he's in one of the safest places ever.
1: <laughs> uh, I figured the least I can do is mention him in the cinema in podcast because, uh, you know, you did good, Carlos. We were cheering Rest for you, peace. man. Rest in peace. All right. Favorite scene. Uh, favorite scene. So another tough one here. Um, There's so many good scenes. These last two categories are going to be particularly hard for me. Um, The one that I wound up choosing was the elevator rescue. Hmm. So um, the elevator that is fixed, that they send the firemen and the women and children down in, uh, it winds up getting blown off of its tracks by an explosion as it's going down. And when it uh, when it goes off the tracks, it's just hanging from a cable, just dangling in open space. And this is an exterior glass elevator. So it's just literally wobbling on the side of the building. Steve McQueen um, figures out a plan where he's going to get a helicopter with a a big hook and he's going to hop onto that elevator and he's going to hook the elevator to the helicopter and he's going to cut the cable and they're going to land it with the helicopter. That scene was so intense. He gets on the helicopter. The other firefighter climbs up and they're just holding on to nothing, balancing on this swinging elevator, trying to cut the cable and hook everything up. And the whole time I'm just sitting there holding my breath like, oh, my gosh, this is crazy. There's kids and ladies and the glass is broken. And uh, they managed to save the elevator, but uh, man alive, that scene was amazing. And um, while I was tempted to say the final scene where the water blows and you see the water and the fire, but that I have to admit that's purely for the special effects and the visuals of it. This scene, Mm -hmm. I was just, man, it's one of the tensest I've ever been watching a movie. And it it was incredible. So I've got to give it to that one.
0: Yeah, for sure. Uh, Spoilers. That's my most thrilling moment. and yeah, it 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 adds to the fact that um, you think they're going to be safe because they set it up to where they're the ones getting down. The ones in the promenade are still up there. You're thinking, oh, they're not going to make it. Right. But then the elevator explodes or, or something explodes next to the elevator. And this thing is hanging on
1: by a thread, by one cable. And... we lose poor lisa latte she saves the little girl but she falls out of the window or out of the elevator to her death yeah which that was also a blow
0: because you think she's gonna eat it when she's trying to scale down that metal concoction with paul newman and they all make it and then Mm -hmm. she ends up going down it and, and they teach you there. too
1: because they save her cat and you think, well, they're, they're saving the cat. She's going to make it because they're going to reunite her with the cat at the end. But, yeah.
0: I'm maybe I have been, but I, that was one of the most suspenseful things I've seen at least in a long time. Like I was glued to my seat in that. And I was just, I was leaning forward. And when I leaned forward, i that's when I know that I'm into a movie because usually I'm reclining back, you know, mm-hmm. um, it, it was just great. And the way they resolve it is, was, it was kind of fantastical, but it also made sense. Like you could see
1: how they got to yeah. that conclusion. And- I mean, you could nitpick that scene pretty hard if you wanted to, uh, for one, yeah. I don't think there's any way the helicopter could have gotten close enough to get him on that elevator without swinging. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Another one is whenever they cut the actual cable to the elevator, the elevator stays <laughs> it, exactly where it is. It doesn't move. Yeah. It would definitely <laughs> swing out when that happened. Yeah, and mm. you know, so th- there's nitpicks, but for the most part, you're you're so just trained in on this scene that you, you don't even care. You know. Yep. Yeah, for sure. But it w- it
0: was my most thrilling moment for sure, and your favorite scene. Mm-hmm. Um. My favorite scene was so. My favorite scene is that scene, uh, but I didn't want to pick the same scene for two categories, so right. I picked another one, and that was uh, my second favorite scene, uh, which was when Paul Newman is helping Liselotte and the two kids down the the metal. Mm-hmm. I don't know what it's just a it's a guardrail or something that has warped and twisted from an explosion. And they're trying to get down it and to the most secure floor. And uh, he goes, he he rolls down it <laughs> like he gets thrown onto it and he's about to just fall into the depths. And somehow he manages to catch himself and get get on uh, secure flooring. And then he's got this kid that's trying to come down by himself, which he makes it. But the whole time you're like, he's gonna he's gonna fall. Then he's gotta go up and get the little girl and use she's gotta piggyback onto him and he's gotta go back down. And then the old lady has to go down. Mm-hmm. And the whole time you're just like, What's gonna happen? Like you're thinking one of these people is gonna end up falling to their death, but they all make it, thankfully. But it's- well,
1: spoiler alert. <laughs> That's my most thrilling moment. (laughs) Awesome. Although I I have others, so I can I can pick another one quickly. (laughs) Oh, whatever. If you want to talk more about that scene or you can pick another one, whatever. No, I agree with you completely, man. Uh, In particular, Mm -hmm. when the when the little boy, he's like, I think I can make it. And he starts climbing down. Oh, my gosh. Like, my breath was held the whole time. All I could imagine was if I was, you know, Laurelotta or whatever her name is. And, (laughs) you know, that's my son trying to climb down. And I was just like, I would like, oh, my gosh, I can't imagine. What can you do? There's nothing. I mean, you can try to help him down, but that's probably be more in the way. Mm -hmm. On top of that, you're worried about weight, and so you don't want to put extra weight on that stuff. It was just, man, it was so intense. Yeah, and that's
0: Paul Newman said. He's like, this is it. Like, you got to try. Otherwise, you're going to burn to death.
1: Yep. Yeah. So do you want to keep that as your most thrilling moment? (laughs) Well, I'll say with the most thrilling moment, this was my hardest choice. Because honest to goodness, once the fire starts, you could pick just about any scene and say it's the most thrilling moment. Uh, mm. Every freaking scene is intense and action filled and just, man, it's super intense. Um, mm. You know, there's the children rescue, which is the one I wound up picking. There's when they blow the water tower above them and are the water tanks. And everybody's strapped in knowing that this could be their last moment on Earth. Mm -hmm. Um, there's the, when the elevator is going down and the explosion happens and it rocks and comes off its tracks and the glass breaks and everyone's trying to hold on. Uh, there's the scene where the elevator comes back up to the promenade and the people who didn't listen are all on fire and then dying in the elevator. Uh, Mm -hmm. the helicopter rescue, there's the scene where Lori and, um, Robert Wagner's character die in the fire there's um, the the scene where they're climbing the stairs and they blow up. There's the scene where they're saving the deaf lady and the kids. Um, anytime Paul Newman goes from one place to another, you've got an intense scene <laughs> coming up. Um, mm-hmm. It's really hard to choose one. Like, there's just so many. Um, and, and so, you know, while I agree with you on the children rescue thing, it's... Uh, Man, it's just a laundry list of super intense, super thrilling movie.
0: Yeah. No, yeah. You're right. There there's no
1: shortage of choices.
0: Um but that that speaks to the movie and yeah. how suspenseful it
1: was. So you're you're good. I'm good. I'll add okay. one more to that laundry list though. And that's okay. when the lady gets on that um that chair, the first one and they start wheeling her across to the other building. Oh Oh my gosh. That's so (laughs) tense. Like she's in basically like a garden chair with a cage around it. And it's not even a cage. It's just bars that she can hold on to Mm -hmm. completely open air, nothing but a seatbelt around her. And she's just, the wind is sorry. The wind is just blowing her every which way. And like, I can't imagine what that would be like having to go between buildings like that.
0: Yeah. And she was the first one. Like, Mm -hmm. Wouldn't you hate to be the first person to have to get on that thing? God, geez, I hope this (laughs) rope was tied well. Yeah. Hey, Matt. Hey, John. Did you know? After seeing this film, novelist Roderick Thorpe had a dream the same night about a man being chased through a skyscraper by gun-wielding assailants. This was the inspiration for the 1979 book, Nothing Lasts Forever, which eventually was made into the film Die Hard.
1: <laughs> Little known film. This movie probably has a lot of ramifications throughout modern Semina. S- semina? Semina. Yeah. Yeah. Semina. <laughs> I like Semina. And Philem. It's like a catagurgle. <laughs> Mavouis. Yeah. <laughs> Um, here's one you'd mentioned if they were real firefighters or not. Uh, they, like yep. I said, there were. Um, in fact, there were over 1,000 real firefighters um, hired for this film throughout the entire production of it. Uh, from being extras in scenes to technical advisors to all kinds of things. So, hmm. yes, they were involved. Over a 1,000 of them.
0: Uh, Steve McQueen... Uh, tragically passed away about six years after this movie released. He uh, developed a persistent cough in 1978 and underwent some treatments. And in 1979, they revealed that he had pleural mesothelioma, which is a cancer associated with asbestos exposure, Mm -hmm. for which there is no known cure. Uh, Apparently, he was exposed to this asbestos in, uh it was used in a movie soundstage insulation and race drivers, protective suits uh,
1: when he was some of his earlier works. Hmm. The, uh, the scene where he comes down onto the roof, there's a scene where he repels off of the helicopter onto the roof of the building and, and lands in the midst of a bunch of fire uh, he actually did that scene. That was not a stuntman. That was Steve McQueen doing all of that. Erwin uh, Allen, our uh, infamous, or not infamous, our famous disaster movie director, uh, strongly objected to him doing this, but he insisted on doing it. And so when you see that scene, that that's actually him um, literally on a helicopter, dropping down onto a set, but dropping down onto a flaming set. There. Mm. <laughs> There was much consternation
0: in Steve McQueen's camp when it was discovered that Paul Newman had 12 more lines of dialogue than he did.
1: Yeah, there are a bunch of egos on this film, for sure. Yeah. I, I think they worked together well, but there were still no shortage of egos here. I mean, when you get the best in Hollywood altogether, that happens um, to that. You know, uh, Bill Holden or William Holden, he demanded That he would be first billed on this film. Um, However, at this point, his um, career had kind of been going downhill. He wasn't as famous then as he was in his prime. And uh, therefore, the decision was made for him to be billed after Steve McQueen and Paul Newman. You uh, I
0: think you mentioned this somewhat early on, but. Uh, there were 57 sets built for the production and only eight remained standing Mm-mm. when the yeah. filming ended.
1: I think I said two, but yeah, most of the sets were destroyed. It's really interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, so here, this is interesting. This is something you don't see every day with a film. Uh, this movie was the very first movie to be jointly produced by two major film studios. Uh, those studios were Warner Brothers and 20th Century Fox. They teamed up to co fund the film, co release the movie, essentially co produce it, and then at the end they took a split right down the middle of the profits, each uh, each studio. Uh,
0: supposedly, Paul Newman later regretted his decision to co star with Steve McQueen because of the rivalry between the two created by Steve. As a result, the fireman role dominates Newman's architect. Three contributing factors are both characters have the same number of lines at McQueen's assistance. McQueen's character doesn't appear until 43 minutes into the film. As a result, Newman had used almost half of his lines before McQueen enters. And number three, the fire chief is the authoritative authoritative hero who outranks and captures center stage over all other characters. Mm -hmm. During filming, Newman was quoted as saying, For the first time, I fell for the goddamn numbers. (laughs) I did this turkey for a million and 10% of the gross, but it's the first and last time, I swear. (laughs) He later collaborated
1: with Erwin Allen on When Time Ran Out, 1980. (laughs) So uh, Steve McQueen originally was going to be cast as the architect, and uh, he decided he wanted to be the fire chief. Uh, when he said that he would be the fire chief, though, he said that he would do that if they can get someone of his caliber to co-star, which is what led to Paul Newman being hired. Um, that Mm -hmm. said, he did have a few suggestions for who could be in that role. And, uh, he mentioned, and I think any one of these would have been good, but I'm glad they went with Paul Newman. He mentioned Clint Eastwood. He mentioned Jack Nicholson. And he mentioned Robert Redford. Paul Newman and Steve McQueen were paid the same amount of
0: money, $1 million and 10% of the box office each. And I think the budget was $13 million or something. Yeah,
1: $14 million budget. <laughs> Not bad. To make $100 uh-huh. million domestically alone on $14 million.
0: Yeah. Total box office take was $203.3
1: million. Ooh, they cleaned up. <laughs> My goodness. This uh, this movie did well at the Oscars. It um, it won three Academy Awards, uh, one for best film editing, one for best song, which was May We Never Lose Love Again. That was the song that was played in the party where we were talking about a candle in a night earlier. Um, and it won for best supporting actor. Oh, no, I'm sorry. I didn't win for that. Best cinematography, best film editing and best song. Those were the three that it won for. Uh, It was nominated, though, for Best Picture, and it was also nominated for Best Supporting Actor, uh, Fred Astaire, receiving that nomination. Uh, It was also nominated for Art Direction, and it was also nominated for Music. So this did very well. That's a lot of nominations and three wins. The Towering Inferno has a
0: 70% Rotten Tomato score from critic uh from critics and it has a 71% audience score with over 25,000
1: ratings. This uh this movie is the only movie in which Fred Astaire was nominated for an Oscar. Which is kind of crazy. But um oddly enough, it's not a musical, which is what <laughs> Fred Astaire was known for. His uh his movies weren't typically
0: uh Oscar worthy. I suppose, as not. they say,
1: at uh, at
0: first, Irwin Allen didn't want to use music during the first five minutes of the helicopter sequence. John Williams told Allen that he could come up with five minutes of music for the beginning.
1: When Allen heard it, he agreed with Williams. Hmm. Uh, before Steve McQueen was uh, brought on for the role, there were a couple of actors considered to play the the uh, the fire chief, Chief O'Halloran. Uh, Among those, we have Sean Connery, we have Rod Taylor, and we have Charlton Heston. Hmm. Charlton (laughs) Heston in particular, I think, would have been interesting in that role.
0: Get that damn fire out, you damn fireman. (laughs) (laughs) Steve McQueen's primary concern when filming was that his fireman's helmet made him look like an idiot. You
1: know, uh, the boy that we kept talking about climbing down during that tense uh, stairs scene that was played by uh, Mike Lookinland, who uh, most of our listeners probably would recognize, not by name necessarily, but by sight, because he played Bobby Brady in The Brady Bunch. Huh. Uh, on top of that... Um, The Mayor Ramsey, who was played by Jack Collins. Jack Collins Mm -hmm. also was in the Brady Bunch. He played um, Mike Brady's boss,
0: Mr. Phillips. I knew I recognized him from somewhere. William Holden didn't have a lot to say about this movie. Uh, He complained about his part and said he spent all of his time talking on the phone.
1: And he also has referred to the film as lousy. It's too bad because I thought he did great in it. Uh, you know, we mentioned earlier how this movie hits a little bit different after watching uh, the events of 9-11 unfold. In mm-hmm. uh, an interesting connection to that. The the two novels that this movie was inspired by, um, one's called The Glass Tower and the other one's called The Tower. Both of those books were inspired by the erection of the World Trade Center buildings. Hmm. So when those big, massive buildings were built, the the tallest buildings in the world at the time, uh, people looked at them and were like, man, what if what would happen if somebody got trapped on on top of a fire in those buildings? And they wrote books about them. Those books became this movie. And then, unfortunately, reality imitated art in this case. Uh, All right. That's going to be our episode for tonight.
0: Join us in two weeks when we will review the 1961 samurai film, Yojimbo, directed by Akira Kurosawa,
1: starring Toshiro Mifune. You know, our last samurai movie that we did uh, was my one and only 10. So I'm That's looking right. forward to this
0: one. Um, this. The reason I picked this is I'm expecting you to...
1: Provide us another 10 out of 10 score. We'll see. We'll see. It's got a uh, it's got a tall wall to climb if it's going to be up there with Harakiri.
0: We would love it if you'd subscribe to the Cinema Men podcast and leave us a review. Head on over to Menpodcast.com to check out new and old episodes. We love to hear from listeners. So if you have a suggestion or just want to give us your take on a movie, you can email us at feedback at menpodcast.com or check us out on Twitter at twitter.com slash menpod. Thanks for listening.
1: Thank you.